Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, it's June. It's kind of the election limbo season, and it's certainly limbo season for Reclaim Idaho. The citizens group is in wait and see mode as it uh, waits to see if its education initiative is going to be on the November ballot. Signatures from the petition drives are being reviewed at this point, and it'll be a few weeks before we know for sure whether the initiative is on the ballot. A refresher, the initiative would raise more than $300 million for K-12, and that would come from increases in corporate income taxes and increases in individual income taxes for Idahoans making more than $250,000 a year and families that make more than $500,000 a year. I sat down this week with Luke Mayville, the co-founder of Reclaim Idaho, to talk a little bit about the process, where things stand, and the state of education funding and education politics in Idaho. Here's our conversation. Well, Luke, thanks for joining us again for the podcast. I wanted to get caught up on the initiative and where things stand. So just give us the overview. I mean, where are you right now after turning in signatures and what's the status? Well, we turned in just about 97,000 signatures uh, back right at the beginning of May. Um, the county clerks now have 60 days total uh, to complete the verification of the signatures. So that will be by the end of this month, by the end of June, will be their deadline uh, for verifying all the signatures we turned in. And then after that, we need to immediately uh, pick those signatures up and submit them to the Secretary of State. Uh, Secretary of State's office then does one final review uh, and, and they, they basically make sure that they don't have to re-verify all the signatures, but they do need to do some counting and make sure that we met the two basic requirements, uh, which are that we collect 6%, uh, we collect signatures from 6% of all registered voters statewide. Right. Which That's is about, the 65,000. About 65,000. And then also that we collect signatures from 6% of registered voters in each of 18 different right. districts. So the Secretary of State's office does that count pretty quickly. Um, in the past, I'm not sure if they're under any kind of deadline, but in the past they've generally gotten that done uh, within 10 days. So by by the middle of July, uh, we will likely know for sure um, whether this initiative is certified for the ballot. And, and at that point, it would be assigned a, a, type, a, a proposition title, um, very likely Prop 1. Mm -hmm. So the heavier lift, obviously, is what's going on at the county level. And what the clerks are doing, what the elections folks are doing, is verifying that these are signatures from registered voters. That's right. And it, it typically is the case that anywhere from, you know, 20 to even up to 50% of signatures uh, can be determined invalid and actually struck off um, for any number of reasons. Uh, and we could talk more about specifics of that. But um, we have strong reason to believe we, we checked over our signatures very carefully. Uh, we have strong reason to believe um, that about 70,000 or so of our signatures are valid of the 97,000 that we turned in. So that will be more than enough to clear uh, the big, the big 65,000 hurdle. Yeah, I was going to ask. I mean, so at this point, you're fairly confident that you've, you've done what the law requires and, and it will, it'll be verified. Yes. Yes. So what do you do in the meantime? I mean, you're, you're kind of in this uh, sort of holding pattern. 
can you do anything in terms of preparing for a potential election? What, what's well, going on it, since so, um, late April? It, what one thing that we, a couple things that we can work on that we are working on diligently, um, coalition building is one. Um, you know, building relationships with organizations and, and individuals, community leaders around the state, business leaders, leaders in education, um, who we believe will support this initiative, and in, in many cases we know they will um, support this initiative. Uh, by the middle of the summer, we, will, we aim to be able to really start announcing an, uh, a number of different coalition partners, a number of organizations and, and individuals who are fully supportive of the initiative. So, co so even though it's a kind of quiet time in terms of the campaign and, and we can't really be out there winning votes um, in the same way in, in the same way we will later because it's not we don't have the actual proposition on the ballot but we can still work to build those relationships and and form a really strong coalition to win in November um, another thing we can do is bring together a lot of information that we gathered over the course of the signature drive uh, in order to really figure out um, what the very strongest message is um, that, that we need to really broadcast out to the public uh, in order to win votes for this initiative because um, really I think the biggest problem that we've run into is that there are so many good reasons we believe to to support this initiative and to increase funding for education in a state that's dead last out of 50 states uh, there are a whole lot of reasons why it's a good idea to fund education but, but there's a lot of work that we can do to really refine our message down to, to the core message that really resonates with the most people. Um, and, and part of what we're doing um, there uh, is collecting stories. And th this may be some, a little bit unconventional. Um, some campaigns do it, but, but we strongly believe in it that we have now met so many people in every region of the state who have something really powerful to say about why education funding is needed, um, how the lack of funding directly impacts children, um, whether that's you know support staff, whether it's parents, uh, whether it's teachers, um, whether it's business leaders who have seen the impact that education has on, on the economy. Um, so we're, we're reconnecting with a lot of people we've met over the last year and we're interviewing them we're getting their stories and and hopefully we'll emerge from this month um in this well really these last uh, this last stretch of time since we turned in the signatures we'll emerge from that with some really powerful stories that we then can repeat a thousand times <laughs> between now and november uh, because we strongly believe that Winning this campaign is mostly a matter of, of uh, just communicating with enough voters about what this initiative really is and the impact it will make in people's lives. Can you give an example of that? I mean, I know it's June. The campaign is five months out. You're not going to give us our, your best material quite yet, but give, give me right. an example of what you're hearing yeah. out there. That I uh, Just the other day, I reconnected with a teacher named up in um, originally in Sandpoint named Tommy Jacobs um, 
Tommy had, uh, I mean, the, to make a long story short, he is no longer a teacher hmm. in um, the Lake Ponderay School District in Sandpoint area. He's now a teacher in Spokane, Washington. Uh, and he made the move, um, and as a young teacher early in his career, he immediately uh, got a $20,000 raise uh, to make the move over. He's now making, he believes, about as much, even though he's only in his, I believe, seventh year, um, he's making as much as he would ever make, even as at the highest level as a veteran teacher in Idaho, um, at least in the Sandpoint area. Um, now, that's not the whole story. Um, we heard about Tommy um, because uh, one of our local county leaders in Bonner County who really led the signature drive there uh, is also a tutor in, in the school district. Uh, and she had tutored several kids over the last, um, you know, five to ten years, and um, a number of those kids had been directly, had, had directly benefited from this teacher, from Tommy Jacobs. He was known as a star math teacher um, in Sandpoint, and um, he, he was known as someone who could really uh, take a student who was who was struggling uh, and move them up and, and in one case there was a student who are again who our local county leader was tutoring uh, a, a young student who had big dreams of, of going into the Naval Academy and uh, and this student um, but this student was you know extremely hard worker but was not one of the top students but just worked at it and worked at it and uh, this teacher Tommy Jacobs was one of the teachers who directly worked with this student, helped him get prepared, I believe it was for calculus, you know, through maybe the pre, pre-calculus pre level up to up to calculus. Um, this student applied, ended up applying in his first round, didn't make it into the Naval Academy, ended up in ROTC at, at U of I, applied again, now he's in the Naval Academy. Um, and, and just to think that here's this teacher, Tommy Jacobs, who could have this you know, trans, transformational impact potentially on, on so many kids and that the next generation is not going to benefit from that teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he potentially had, you know, 10, 20 years more in that district of, and think of a whole generation of kids who could have benefited um, from his talent and his commitment. Now he's in Washington and, you know, uh, it, we're, I'm sure we all believe that Washington students deserve an education too, but um, don't we need to look out for Idaho kids? Is there any reason why um, the kids in our state shouldn't have these opportunities? Uh, and, and these are the kinds of stories that we're encountering and, and we're just going to keep collecting them and, and, and we're, we're confident we're going to have some very strong stories from every region of the state by the time we're um, done with this. And I'm sure it goes to the case that you're trying to make that in spite of what the legislature has been doing with the career ladder, with teacher pay, we're still at a deficit in terms of teacher recruitment, retention, as evidenced by the 700 vacancies that we've been writing about. That's right. Well, you all have been writing about the 700 uh, vacancies 
um, you've also been writing about, um, and so I won't speak in too much detail about it because you'd be, be you're well aware of all of this, but um, there were some big hopes with the new spending from the governor and the legislature um, that, in the, in the words of the governor's office, that you would see an up to 10% increase mm -hmm. in teacher salaries. I believe that's the exact wording they used, an up to 10% increase. Well, the negotiations are closing up and we're starting to see what the increases are, as you all have reported on. And if I remember correctly, in some of the largest districts that affect the most teachers, um, what we've seen so far is maybe a high of around 7%. But then it goes all the way down to more like in the three percent, and kind of a combination of permanent raises with stipends because some of the that's money right. is, is one-time money. And that's and that is a critical point that a lot of these districts are looking at the package that was passed by the legislature and the funding increase, and they're looking at it closely and they're noticing that a big chunk of it was one-time funding. And it's just not fiscally responsible to use one-time funding right. for continual needs. And so many of the most urgent needs in our K-12 system are continual needs. They're not one-time needs. They're things that you need to keep investing in year after year after year. And teacher salaries are certainly um, one of those. So um, that's really striking because in some cases you're going to see um, teacher salaries with some one-time bonuses, but in terms of the continual teacher salary increase, even after uh, this substantial you know, investment from the legislature, you're gonna see 4% increases. Um, and inflation's about what? Five, 6%. Mm -hmm. uh, so in some cases, those salary increases are going to be eaten up by inflation. Uh, Yet another reminder that we've got such a long way to go. If we want to, if we want to make up for lost ground that has put us in 50th out of 50 states, while also accounting for rapid growth in our population, uh, record-breaking inflation, uh, and you know what, the initiative that we're proposing um, is is really going to be a, a big step forward it's not gonna get us all the way there. We're gonna to have to keep working at it. Um, but a case that we're going to be making is that we've gotta be doing everything that we can. And the Quality Education Act initiative, um, which will end up being somewhere between, you know, 320 and 400 million more a year, um, would be a big step forward. Uh, and it's very clear that we're gonna need that uh, in order to make our salaries more competitive. You talked earlier about trying to build coalitions in anticipation of, uh, of the fall election. Where do you see the support coming from and where do you see the opposition uh, aligning against you? I mean, obviously, I mean, this is a, an increase in income taxes in a state where you know, political leaders have been Mm -hmm. decreasing income tax rates and right. corporate tax rates. Well, we anticipate and we already know to some degree that we're going to get a lot of um, support from the education community, from, from education leaders, from parents, uh, families all across the state, people who are directly impacted. Where it will be a little bit more complicated is in the business community in the business community, there's likely to be some division. 
Uh, we are very confident that a, a large segment of the business community uh, will be in enthusiastic support of our initiative. Um, we're at some point later in the summer, we'll actually be releasing a list of endorsements. And so we can't say, we can't give much detail on that yet, but we are confident that we're going to have business owners all across the state and a long list of them um, signing on and that that will include some of the larger employers in the state as well. Uh, and and on, on the other side, there will, I mean, I, I don't want to make a self-fulfilling prophecy, but you could imagine there would at least be some who prioritize tax cuts over education spending, um, in our view, and they're, they're going to push back against it. Some of them might even say, you know, well, we, we believe in education funding too, but, but we think that these tax cuts that the legislature has passed over the years are so important that we're not willing to support this initiative. Um, our view of this is that, you know, that, that divide within the business community, it's really a divide between people who are really thinking in the long term and those who are very short term minded uh, because the business leaders we're talking to and, and small business owners that we're talking to, it is just a no brainer to them that when you're dead last out of 50 states in funding for education, when you're underfunding things like welding programs and other career technical programs, it's just a no brainer that that's bad for business, it's bad for the economy, that you're not, you're not preparing a workforce that is anywhere close to as strong as it could be. Uh, and, and, and the people we're talking to clearly rank that problem above the problem of, you know, paying a little bit more on the corporate income tax rate or paying a little, or, or, or paying more um, on the amount you earn over your first $500,000 in a year. Uh, that's typically what we're hearing. It's also what we've seen in a lot of economic research that when businesses are thinking, when entrepreneurs are thinking, you know, where to set up a business, what, what are the factors that, that matter the most? Uh, they care a whole lot more about the general infrastructure than they do about specific tweaks in the tax code. And a key part of that infrastructure is always education. It's always, do we have a strong system of public schools that, could, that can really uh, drive the economy? But it's, but it's a tougher argument to make now to some people because of the economics at the moment, inflation, gas prices, all of that. Going out with a tax proposal right now, it's well, tougher, isn't it? It's not at all clear what the opposition argument would be because what, what, why would they say that now is the wrong time to um, you know, require the, high, the very highest earners in the state to, to pay more because, tax, because gas is too expensive? It's not clear. They can still afford the gas, you know, <laughs> and, and they can afford these tax, um, these, these tax increases. So um, the truth is that there will be a lot of legislators, a lot of lobbyists and uh, special interests and things 
who will always argue for tax cuts on hires and large corporations, no matter what the economic circumstances. So they'll say, oh, uh, in, it's, we're in an inflationary period, time for tax cuts. Oh, we're in a recession, we need tax cuts mm -hmm. to stimulate the economy. Oh, we've got record-breaking revenue, uh, and we're in a we're in a white hot economy. Time to cut taxes on large corporations and and the richest Idahoans. So that is really for a lot of these powerful people. That's you know the one play in their playbook, and it's their number one priority. They've made that very clear. Uh, and we think that you know it's it's time for the people of Idaho to have a chance to chime in on that and. It's time for you know voters across the state to you know, to let us know to be to be able to raise their voices and 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 have a choice over you know whether they actually agree with this idea that tax cuts should always come first and education should be second. Uh, we think that the vast majority of voters see that in reverse. They they think funding for education should be the number one priority. Um, if you're adequately funding education and there's funds left over, then let's talk about tax cuts. And your point, as you were making a few minutes ago, is that you want this to be viewed as more of a long-term initiative, take, taken out of the politics of the moment or the That's economics right. of the I moment. That's right, because the truth is that if you look seriously at how far we've fallen behind, you know, the, the most recent... Um, if you take seriously how far we've fallen behind, it's going to take more than one initiative to really get us on, get a, get us where we need to be. But this could be a big step forward that put really puts us on the right track, and that sends a really clear signal that the people of Idaho want the legislature to be doing things differently. That they don't agree with that playbook. Um, the, the, we've got a long way to go. The the National Education Association. She put out a report finding that it's really worse than we thought. We're, when you look at average teacher salaries, it's, we're not just behind Washington State. We're $27,000 behind Washington <laughs> State, 16000 behind Oregon, 8000 behind Wyoming. We're a richer state than Wyoming, but we still pay our teachers $8,000 less on average. Support staff wages, dead last out of 50 states. The average full-time support staff, a lot of them are part-time, but the average full-time support staff in Idaho makes $25,000 a year. Um, that's below any measure you could come up with of what it, what's, what it requires, what, what you would need to live comfortably in Idaho. Um, and that's what we're paying reading specialists. That's what we're paying the people who are tasked with, you know, keeping our classrooms clean. Right. Um, so we're so a lot of districts are like paraprofessionals, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but um, but this so that this initiative is really all about um, highlighting just how far we've fallen behind and taking a big step forward, um, a, a, a larger increase in uh, education funding than we've seen in a generation, um, while still acknowledging that you know this is going to be a generational thing that we're, but, but hopefully this initiative could turn the tide and get us on a better track. So last question, because um, I haven't had a chance really to, to talk to you since the primary, what, what do you think voters were saying in the primary, um, in, in general, in terms of the state of 
uh, of Idaho, but maybe specifically in education. What do you take out of the primary results as you yeah, plan well, for an election this fall? So uh, given that my um, involvement in Idaho politics and re involvement in Reclaim Idaho, we're, we're always focused on the big general election. That's when an initiative goes before the public. Sure, yeah, it's man. a big November general election, and that's when by far the most voters have a chance to weigh in. In any discussion of the primary election, I believe, has to start with an acknowledgement that it's only a tiny slice of the, the voting oh. population who votes. And I just, just want to clarify this, you know, for listeners, um, it, it tends to be between um, 25 to, you know, 33 percent mm -hmm. of the vote. 33 percent is a high. Um, and and, and it's 32.5 this it, time. And actually, yeah, it was 32.5 of registered voters. Mm -hmm. Voting age population, by my calculation, that goes that's about 25% of the voting age population, sure. which meant that to win a majority, you only needed about 13% mm -hmm. of the voting age population. So that is the critical, when you talk about you know, what the voters are saying, um, you're generally talking about what are 13% of the voting right. age population, what are, what are they saying? And that's important, and, that, and there are all kinds of discussions you could have about maybe how the primary system needs to be changed but but so um, we're drawing off of a small sample size so yeah but but you look at that and you still see that i mean in the the biggest election of all the, the election for governor um the governor was not um was was certainly not um there, there's certainly no indication that the governor was punished for being far out ahead on you know, advocating for education and education funding um, than the typical legislator in Idaho, for example. The, go um, the governor had as um, one of the main planks of his platform, one of the main parts of his campaign, that he, that he was all for investing in education. Um, and he seemed to be rewarded for that, even by that relatively small part of, of the electorate that maybe tends to be the least supportive of education in some ways mm -hmm. when you look at the total uh, the total electorate um, so that is that's striking that even among the Republican primary electorate um, there appears to have been support for education and I know you know the big the big caveat is that it really varied a lot which region you're looking at and, mm -hmm. and it, it, it breaks my heart um, as a North Idahoan, um, that it, that some some legislators who really have stood up for education were not able to eke out a victory up north, um, and that's troubling. Um, and the way that some of the state superintendent um, the 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 votes went up north on, in that race, I found troubling. Um, but I started with the point about the primary being only one part of the electorate because that's so important for not just to make a kind of abstract point, but it's that's so important for how we think about our initiative and our our chances in November. And it's also important for thinking about where where, you know, ordinary Idahoans as an electorate stand when it comes to education funding. What we believe strongly um, is that when you take the electorate as a whole, 
um, and you look at you know the average Idaho voter, there's a whole lot more support for education, um, you know, than than even even than what we saw in the primary, and we did see some significant support for education in the primary. Luke, thanks again for coming in, talking politics, talking about the uh, the initiative. Appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Great to be here. Again, that was Luke Mayville, the co-founder of Reclaim Idaho. Now, it may be June, but there's still quite a bit of news happening, so plenty to get caught up on at idahoednews.org. The State Board of Education met Tuesday and Wednesday, and they spent part of Wednesday morning talking about Idaho's looming teacher shortage. A recent State Board survey revealed that schools are looking for hundreds of teachers, and many school districts say they're not even getting applicants for the vacancies. So a pretty grim discussion at the State Board meeting. I have that and all the news from the State Board's meeting. We also have news from the West Ada School District. Derek Bubb, the superintendent, received a 20% pay raise. Devin Bodkin has the story there. He also has a story about a top uh, aide to State Superintendent Sherry Ibarra, who's taken a job in the Pocatello School District. We expect we'll see probably more top aides to Ibarra leave in the months to come as, uh, as Ibarra's term comes to an end. This is the first one. Devin has that story. Speaking of the elections, I also uh, took a look at the Sunshine Reports to take a look at how the fundraising played out in the statewide races and the legislative races and what kind of factor was money in those elections. It's a pretty complicated mix, and I explain that in my weekly analysis piece. Next week, we'll have whatever comes along in education policy and education politics. Follow us on Twitter at IdahoEdNews. We tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on breaking news. You can follow us on Facebook and comment on our stories there. And check back next Friday for another edition of the podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week.